Hi guys, before we start this episode, we just want to let you know we'll be launching a Patreon campaign next month. We're absolutely loving making this podcast. We're dying to release episodes more frequently. And we have a bunch of ideas for additional content we think will be a right chuckle to make. So we're hoping you guys can join our merry band and help support us in this endeavor. As with all Patreon campaigns, we're going to have various tiers packed with goodies. So if this is something that interests you and you think you might want to get on board, please get in touch via social media on Instagram or TikTok or via email at layingdownthelore at gmail.com and let us know what you'd like to see on there. We'll be providing more details on this in next month's episode and we're aiming to launch on October 31st. Halloween! So without further delay, let's roll. Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host Christopher Crallen Allen. Good morning. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. Hello who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Hello, gents. You're right, mate. So, Dar, um, before we go on, I mean, it's been a while since we did any fact-checking, and there was one particular fact that uh, I think we realised post-recording that you had maybe got wrong, which was the... The naming of the Lamian bulls. Oh yes, um, they're the what's it, Lamasu? Lamasu. It's the savory version of tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so all right, so not not Lamian bulls. Apologies to all of our Greek mythology loving fans, all three of you, and Lamasu listeners, and the Mesopotamian ones for which it actually comes from Greek. You philistine. Yeah, but you know the Greek. We apologise to the Greek ones as well. You know, so that's <laughs> we just apologise. We just r- general apology to the world. Yeah, yeah like we're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> we're sorry for the heightism. We're sorry for our our apparent uncle Semitic, <laughs> anti Semitic, anti Semitic, <laughs> uncle Semitic behaviour. Um, <laughs> And, you know, implying that you need to be circumcised in order to become a god. You know, that's it's clearly wrong. It's clearly wrong. Well, it I really feel this is. episode's getting off to a great start. <laughs> 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 so moving swiftly on, Kral, what, was, uh, what, did, what went down last month? What went down last month was Skaven time. Tell us what you wrote down last month. <laughs> I did. I've, I've even closed WhatsApp and everything just to make this sound as natural as possible. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Dar was educating us about the origins of the Skavan, uh, the first few uh, initial battles. Skaven. Skavan. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, yeah, so Darren took us on a journey of the Skaven uh, their, and their origins, their first few initial battles, and I guess the what established them as a, for lack of a better word, an ordered clan, you know, a race, if you like, because before they were just, their origins actually started with, like, didn't they attack humans or something? They're like a human-humanoid hybrid. There was this big mist, and people were getting dragged away, and 
by these by lots of stuff and eyes and people and, and rats and stuff <laughs> and eyes again a kind of close approximation of what was discussed but uh. <laughs> i mean i was there last month and i barely know what you're talking about <laughs> okay i'm just gonna read whatsapp instead last episode we looked at the origins of the skaven their first few words as they defined their under empire their fist few wars, that's not right, as they defined their under-empire and then took a brief skim over the clan structures with the power descending from the Council of the Thirteen, the Grey Seers, the four great clans, Skyre, Mulder, Eshin, and Pestilens, and ultimately to the innumerable warlord clans. Yeah, it took me ages to spell check innumerable. <laughs> but you didn't spell check first, though, did you? Their fist few wars. <laughs> the first few words. <laughs> that one slipped under the radar. But what I do remember is a big fucking church, which some mysterious guy promised to um, build in one night in return for, was it erecting an idol of his deity or something, or allowing to pray in a certain way? Yeah, it was for putting a giant bronze bell at the top of the tower, at the top ah, of yes. the steeple, I suppose. Yeah. And... Uh, no one knows still who that person was. Was it an avatar of the horned rat himself? Was it one of his vermin lord greater demons? No one knows. Mm-hmm. Was it just an angry guy looking for ratty vengeance? Just a just a lonely guy looking for someone to hang in his bell. <laughs> but it was it was the mother of all steeples or church spies, wasn't it? It like it breached the clouds. It was huge. That's exactly right. It's yeah. quite a steeple. It was monstrous. I've seen some steeples in my time, but that is <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is one yeah. steeple. It's a steep steeple. Eye-wateringly big. Mm. So last month we had all of that. What are we having this month, Tar? What's on the menu? Last month we ended with the Skaven rising up from the destruction of their city, Skaven Blight, or the destruction of most of their city, and they had started to spread out into the mountain ranges surrounding them, and it brought them into contact with the Dwarven nations, the surface world. They were looking at conflict with humans and orcs and goblins and monsters, so really dangerous. So they wanted to stay underground. So as they expanded their under-empire, they eventually came across this kind of rumoured massive deposit of warp stone. And as our loyal listeners at this stage, they'd have to be fucking loyal. Our loyal listeners (laughs) remember that the Skaven have uh, little ratty hard-ons for warp stone. Uh, They eat it. Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) The little rat lipstick pops out. (laughs) I think that's how your fiancé describes yours, isn't it, Chris? (laughs) little ratty lipstick. A little ratty (laughs) hard-on. Get it away from me, Chris. (laughs) Uh. So, yeah, so the Skaven consume it in great levels, the the warp stone, not the hard-ons. And um, in discovering this enormous deposit of warp stone, they came into conflict with our Lord and Savior, the great Lord of the Undead, Nagash. And this happened at a site called Cripple Peak. Pause for inappropriate comments. Holding. No, Darren, we're, we're above that now. Is, is that a height joke again? <laughs> it's cripplism, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We're above that because we can stand. <laughs> oh. So the Skaven, completely avaricious, want the massive deposit of warp stone 
and are facing the great necromancers undead legions so they begin a decades-long war to try and gain control of the deposit of uh, warp stone so you can imagine this conflict rages in and around and on top of uh, a mountain that's been to use a great phrase cleft in twain so there are Huge deposits of warp stone littering the surface, even bigger deposits underground. There's constant war between the dead and the skaven in tunnels and on the surface. So it's literally a bloodbath. It it just, the place is just awash and the ground eventually turns a kind of iron red from all the blood that's shed. I'm assuming the blood that's shed is only on the side of the skaven. Pretty much, Yeah, yeah. The problem the Skaven have, even though they have, again, my favorite word today, innumerable, they have innumerable Skaven, like generations after generations are just living and dying purely to... (laughs) Wave after wave of my own men. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They really are the Zap Brannigan of the Warhammer world. They really are. (laughs) But they're facing off against a slightly smaller but ever-increasing army of the dead because as the Skaven die their bodies are reanimated by Nagash and sent back in to fight their former comrades sometimes almost immediately holy shit so you've got undead Skaven bugger me with a fish fork that sounds amazing there used to be a regiment you could buy for Warhammer Fantasy Battle the kind of rank and file game that Games Workshop was famous for at the time, which had a mixture of undead types. So you had humans, dwarves, elves, goblins. I think there was a halfling, or it may be oh in a God. goblin, and there was Skaven and Orc as well. That's so cool. I really want to see Yeah, it was really good. It was a really good unit. We should too. get a photo of that in the uh, the old show notos. Yeah, no problem at all. I'll dig it out. So this combat uh, meat grinder, no one is getting the upper hand. Or, more correctly, I suppose, Nagash remains in possession of the warp zone deposits. So the Council of Thirteen begin to scheme, and they look to Clan Scryer, which we touched on very briefly last time, and these are the kind of chaotic steampunk engineers of the Skaven race. For players of Vermintide, these are the chaps with the warp fire throwers with the yeah. poisoned wind globe throwers mm, bunch of bastards they are bunch yeah they really bastards. are and so it was about that time that the warp fire thrower came into regular use so you just imagine if you're in this tunnel which is swarming with four foot high rat armored rats and zombies and skeletons and then suddenly the entire thing is bathed in a green magical fire which destroys you not only physically but perhaps uh, spiritually socially existentially (laughs) perhaps as well financially (laughs) (laughs) morally (laughs) (laughs) so in addition to these uh, tunnel fighting pieces of equipment and the globe throwers they start bringing out the what's called the warp lightning cannons and even larger engines of destruction a warp lightning cannon is a it looks like a trebuchet but instead of the swinging arm it's got a fixed warp stone powered laser lightning cannon <laughs> <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> pichu, pichu. 
and it, and it will f your day up. But Nagash has sorry. So how how does that work then? So it's a kind of trebuchet, and it just it fires a laser, which then the trebuchet kind of flings in a direction, and it will cut a line in that direction. Is that right? No, sorry. It it looks like I don't a think trebuchet. it's like a trebuchet at all. I think it's just more of a wooden cannon. Oh, I see. A wooden in fact, camel. Scrap trebuchet. <laughs> <laughs> He just said it because it's a fun word to say, isn't it? No, because the framework is similar. But, okay, but right. as I had said, if you had listened, instead of the swinging arm, it has a green laser cannon. Right, okay. Yeah, no, I, I didn't listen. <laughs> it's more like a clothes horse than a trebuchet, isn't it? Like a fixed, rigid structure, albeit with a big warp stone on top of it. Plop. Yeah, like a, sie- like a siege tower sort of thing, but smaller and not... <laughs> A siege tower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> we're, being, we're just being difficult, Darren. Do I even need to be here? <laughs> <laughs> so against these enormous siege engines, Nagash had already figured that Skaven would pull some sort of ratty shenanigans and using his own store of warp stone and his necromantic power and his dark magic, which we all remember is powered by the Wind of Dar, um, <laughs> he short circuits all of their war engines. Nice. So there is some sort of magical EMP device he sets off. That's very cool. Which blitzes all their technology, and then they're just you know the the undead just wash over them. Then they're just a bunch of rats. Yeah. Just a bunch of rats. Then at that stage, just a bunch of dead rats. Sure. Okay. So they. They shift their tactics, the Skaven, being cunning as they are, and they begin to attack all the human tribes that are attached to uh, Nagash's empire. So if you can imagine, he's got this, what effectively looks like an even more evil version of Sauron's tower in Lord of the Rings, Baradur, the shores of this kind of poisoned lake. And just adjacent to the tower is this enormous broken mountain with a huge amount of warp stone in it. So surrounding that are a load of human tribes, kind of barbaric tribes, that will eventually devolve into cannibalism and become the ghouls and ghasts of the Warhammer world. So they end up with this kind of horrible cannibalistic half-life. And so they kept attacking the tribes, trying to destroy them or to force them to rebel against Nagash. But to an individual, all of these humans feared Nagash more than they feared their own death. So how? Hold on. How did how did the Skaven try to get them to attack Nagash? Did they kind of like go and attack them like dressed as the undead, like in a skeleton outfit, like it was? Halloween oh no! Or I, I I I think it's going to be to destroy all the resources so that they're left with no option but to rebel against their master. But there may have been instances of bribery. There may have been instances of one Skaven sitting on another Skaven's shoulders with a trench coat. (laughs) Um, All this kind of stuff. glasses. Just like wobbling really. (laughs) Like, hello, sir. (laughs) Did you know Nagash called your mother a hamster? (laughs) (laughs) so while all this is going on there's the constant kind of meat grinder as i said warfare in and around cripple peak and this is now lasting almost a century so potentially millions 
of Skaven have just been chewed up and spat out by the undead jaws of Nagash's legion. Sad times. Wow. Sad times. That is a horrible fate, isn't it? They're beginning to realize that they're running out of resources and their desire to gain all that warp stone, they may not have the resources to be able to conquer Cripple Peak and may have to withdraw. And as the Council of Thirteen are discussing what to do, they receive an envoy from Nagash. So he sends one of his lieutenants. So the envoy from Nagash offers them a deal that if they can supply his master with as many orcs as possible, he will give them wagon loads of warp stone in return. Oh, mm, good deal. So the war dies down and is replaced by a commercial solution where Skaven are now wandering the hills uh, and countrysides in and around not only Nagash's R, which is the name of Nagash's fortress, but all over the Old World uh, and the Badlands uh, and across to the Darklands and the Border Princes, or what will become the Border Princes. And they just begin enslaving hundreds of thousands of orcs and goblins and delivering them to the undead legions of Nagash. I can't imagine how the little shrimpy Skaven can like even overpower one orc. I guess it's just sheer numbers, isn't it? You're just fucking like 20 Skaven to one orc kind of thing. No yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then what? They 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 knock them out and drag them back. I mean, yeah, yeah, the logistics of this are, are kind of a bit mind-boggling. It is, but you've got to uh, keep in mind at this stage that the the Skaven under empire really is the largest transport network in the whole of uh, Warhammer history and I suspect mm. remains so right up until the end times. So as soon as they will have captured orcs, they'll be chained up. I mean, this is where I think we'd mentioned Clan Molder uh, last time, which are the great beastmasters and slave pen owners. So this is where Clan Molder really come into their own. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, that makes Transporting sense. huge numbers of slaves back through. And, and I suspect there's some... You know, they're not transporting them back to Skaven Blight. They're not going back to their capital. So they're not ending up in any kind of dangerous situation where there's more mm. slaves than there are. There's more orcs than there are Skaven in any one position because they're just, you know, handing them over to the undead lords underneath Nagash and then getting, you know, bright green rocks in return. A buttload of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, it's more like they're getting a load of refresher sweets. <laughs> So I see yep. a, a big problem on the horizon here for the Skaven, because if you're delivering a bunch of live, what they see as bad guys, to other bad guys who are going to turn them into undead in exchange for rocks, eventually, while the Skaven's desire for Warpstone is never going to be sated, Nagash's desire for orcs possibly could be, at which point he will have a ridiculous army and he will just absolutely annihilate the Skaven. I mean, yeah, no, but, nobody, nobody you know, was thinking ahead here, were they? When you've got a hankering for Warpstone like the Skaven have, nom, I mean, nom, 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 nom. You, don't, you don't think about that, do you? You just think about the next wheelbarrow full of green nominus. Yeah. Just, just this, give me, just give me, a, give me another hit. Yeah. It's how you feel about ass spiders, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> me. Oh, oh me. It's <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I, I can relate 
Uh, well, I mean, you guys have touched on it with a needle. So the the, the Council of Thirteen have the same concerns. So they begin a series of a kind of spy networks. I don't know if it was exclusively Skaven, but the, the Skaven do have a habit of recruiting human agents as well, uh, suborning them with kind of bribes. And then, I mean, it's the same in the real world. Once you're bribed, whoever bribed you effectively owns you because they can reveal your ne'er-do-wellness at any time. If you were a human, what could a Skaven offer you as a bribe? Bit of mouldy cheese. Yeah, mouldy <laughs> cheese, warp stone, or they can kill whoever is your enemy or whoever uh, is obstructing okay. your rise to power and so on. Gotcha. Yeah, don't don't nice. the human races not believe in the Skaven? Isn't that one of the weird twists in the Warhammer world? Like the, mm. the, the Empire don't believe or refuse to believe they exist yeah and that's really that's really a result of the efforts of the skaven to have it that way i mean if you've got someone in a position who you've managed to place in a position of power and they are in your debt you can get them to just nix any mention of skaven uh, in any report that comes across your desk right okay That's cool. Yeah, I like that. So while this commercial venture is happening and the rising concern of the Council of Thirteen that these bulky orcs may turn into bulky orc zombies or bulky orc skeletons and come back and smash their heads in, the only real thing that's noticed, the only real thing that is brought back to their attention is that there was an enormous fleet that left the Nagashazar via the Sour Sea, which is the name of the body of water that it's on the shores of, and that fleet headed south and was gone for a year. About halfway through that year, there was an incredible storm. Once that passed, and it seemed to all intents and purposes to be perhaps a magically enhanced storm, but nonetheless a, a natural phenomenon, or looked to be a natural phenomenon, the Bone Fleet returned. And it returned with a single prisoner. It didn't come back with any treasure. It didn't come back with huge amounts of slaves. It didn't come back with anything. It was a single human that sounds prisoner. really inefficient. They went on a raid and brought back a single prisoner. Think about the legions of undead badgers they could have brought back if they'd have, you know. I mean, Jesus, try harder, guys. Well, I think what had happened was they had just, they'd been on a huge holiday and they'd come back, but they'd forgotten to get Nagasha present. So they just went oh, to the, shit, you know, like a petrol oh, station. Mate, let's just um, uh, grab, 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 <laughs> grab that fridge magnet. No, come on. He'll know that's, fl- he'll know we didn't think about it. All right, we'll grab that dude instead. <laughs> and we'll just make up a story about who he is. Grab the guy that makes the fridge magnets. Got him. Right, go. <laughs> <laughs> Give a man a fridge magnet, and he shall hang a picture of his daughter's cat that she drew. Bring the man that makes the fridge magnets, and <laughs> he can he can hang himself with the fridge magnets. <laughs> he can have a fridge magnet for months. Donate three pound a day now to sponsor fridge magnet man. Is your boss stopping you from getting that promotion? Is your wife cheating on you with some low-life scumbag? Or did someone just plain shit in your cereal? Well, there's one thing these motherfuckers all have in common. That's right, you can have them all killed. Hi, I'm Barry Snuffleupagus. That's right, Snuffleupagus. Don't fucking laugh. 
You might remember me from other adverts such as Rent a Plague or Rat Ogres of Us. Businesses that are 100% nothing to do with them rat men and myths. What the fuck is a skaven anyhow? But enough of this chit chat, let's talk about Eshin Exterminators. The one stop shop for all your assassination needs. If the price is right, nothing is out of the question. Maybe your boss accidentally brutally cuts his own head off while shaving. Maybe that bitch wife and a shithead lover are incinerated in some freak yachting accident involving a wayward badger and a faulty fucking toaster. Maybe that serial shitter accidentally slips and falls ass first onto a conveniently placed blunderbuss that fires so much cereal up his hole his head pops like a fucking balloon. Anything could happen. One thing's for certain though, Clan Ishin had nothing to do with it. Who the fuck a Clan Ishin I hear you say? Exactly. And don't worry about the company name either, that's just a fucking coincidence, you hear me? Ashen Exterminators. We take out the trash so you don't have to. Alright, you get that? Get it back? Alright, great. Barry Snuffleupagus signing off. I gotta go pick up my payoff from that scaven age around the corner. <laughs> or should I say small furry man? Eh? Eh? Am I right? Eh? Eh? Yeah, this guy gets it, he gets it. Alright, alright, I'm out of here, I'm out, I'm out. So on the tale of the return of this single human prisoner, the Skaven spies and scouts noticed an enormous river of undead walking, you know, kind of trudging really, from the south up to Nagash. And what's written in the various army books is that this uh, river of dead was const- or constituted millions of humans. So a wow. sheer enormous power surge to uh, Nagash's forces. Oh, they, they, weren't, they weren't marching against Nagash. They were joining, bolstering his forces. Yes. And Ooh. the Skaven are obviously terrified. But as this happens, silence descends over Nagash's R, over Nagash's own fortress. And it's at this stage the Council of Thirteen realise that they have to act. He's become too powerful. He's got millions of additional zombies and skeletons and undead heading towards him. He's got a huge number of orcs. He's got an enormous contingent of cannibalistic ghouls that are just frenzied. And he still has possession of possibly the largest warpstone deposit in the history of the world. So his power is is unrivaled. The dude's unstoppable. When you said silence fell on Nagash's fortress, what kind of yeah. sounds were going on before? Like, how noisy was it that the sudden silence made them go, oh, it's quite silent? Well, there was no more. The undead weren't moving. Oh. They were just standing still. So there was no like patrols. The the sentries were just stood stock still. Um, the mariachi yeah. band had fallen silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's possibly the most unnerving thing you could see in a tunnel. It's just this completely still mariachi band. <laughs> Mid performance, <laughs> ponchos and hats and stuff. Oh man! So what? So what was the crack then? What were they all doing? So the council decided that they needed to make use of any ally they could make within Nagash's R. There were no living humans that could, you know, be turned against Nagash for hundreds of miles in every direction. They were all either undead or were ghouls or cannibals. 
So not only did was his forces growing, his enemies, in the, at least in the immediate vicinity, were disappearing as well. So his monopoly on the land was just getting bigger. So Yeah, exactly right. Ooh, ooh. Hate to be on the bad side of Nagesh. Yeah, and they realized that in that moment, he was the most powerful being on the planet, perhaps even rivaling one of the slan. Wow. Shit. And so they were left with no choice. They had to act. Uh, And a plan was formed that involved the single human prisoner who had been kept alive, tormented, uh, tortured, teased, tickled, and other (laughs) T-words. Tantalized. (laughs) Toasted. (laughs) Toasted, touted. (sighs) Tromboned. Oh, that's an Amnesty International call right there. I've been tromboned. (laughs) (laughs) Tangoed. (laughs) Without directly contacting the prisoner, the Skaven Council decided to use him as a kind of meat puppet to attack Nagash. So they forged the single most deadly sword that's ever been made in Warhammer history called the Fellblade. And this was uh, something that was more warp stone than metal and riddled, riddled, I say, with uh, extremely dark, potent magics that disrupted not only other people's magic, but would drain the life force of anything that touched it or that it was stabbed with, which means that the the life force of the bearer would be drained from uh, them. What, ju- just by holding the handle of it? Just by holding the handle over a prolonged period of time. If you were stabbed with it, you're done. But if you're holding the handle, it will just drain your life force slowly over time. So who is this bloke, by the way? Do you not remember? I, do you, have you not put two and two together? We, we've been told this story already, Chris. Do you not remember? I'll use his name at the end of it. Okay. Okay. So, using you know their best scouts, their best agents, the Skaven infiltrate Nagash's R, which is even more unnerving than normal because nothing's moving. They unlock the prisoner's cell and just leave the sword right in front of him. And as soon as he picks up the sword, he is effectively possessed by the collective sorceries of the Council of Thirteen. So they have a direct link. They've like Wi-Fi directly into him. <laughs> Bluetoothed, yeah. Well, green-toothed, really, if it's warped. Green-fanged. Nice. Green-fanged. Nice. Uh, they don't control him completely because he has enormous willpower, uh, but they are able to set up illusions, post-hypnotic suggestions, that kind of thing. And so he's guided through the tunnels, and I like to think that he's not perhaps visibly surrounded by Skaven, but if you can imagine, there is just a boundary or a perimeter of the elite of the elite of Skaven warriors clearing the way for him. But they don't have to do anything because everything is perfectly still. He eventually comes to Nagash's throne room to find the great necromancer effectively comatosed on his throne, just kind of sitting slouched, exhausted from casting the single largest spell that's ever been cast, it, certainly uh, in human that's human what lore. That was. Right, I was wondering why everything was a bit a bit exhausted, <laughs> exhausted. 
Right. And as he raises the sword to bring it down and kill the necromancer, some sense or some soul or spirit wrapped up in Nagash is made aware of it and he raises his arm to ward off the blow and it severs his hand at the wrist. Snip. And so the hand effectively just scuttles off into the, the darkness. Well, like the th- like thing from Adam's family. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Nagash starts to fight back with spells uh, and, you know, and, and, yeah, blistering curses and kind of dead looks and that kind of idea. <laughs> you ruddy bugger. You'll never, you'll never get my other hand. <laughs> Damn it. But the council of 13 are protecting their kind of human agent. And so he's surrounded by this sphere of pure power. That's shielding him from the most dangerous being on the planet. Now, as this is happening, council members start dropping dead because of the feedback the power of nagash's magic wow is going through the human and yeah striking them down that's the power yeah. of, of green tooth man it is the number one mm. for wireless <laughs> transmission broadband online all the time never drops below 100 meg per second <laughs> it's the future mate it's the future the future well i feel a green tooth advert coming on I think so. I think, <laughs> this shit I, think they, I mean, I think I think we just gave them, you know, a rave review, and I I, I expect them to be on the phone in the next few weeks. <laughs> but as the the council of thirteen are protecting their agent, he's still chopping and uh, chopping and chopping, and eventually Nagash succumbs to his wounds, and he falls down, for want of a better word, deader than he was already. <laughs> but it's driven it's it's driven the prisoner insane so he wanders i mean he was a, a mess before he'd been tortured and tantalized and tumbled and tromboned yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's he, the Skaven ignore him and he's still holding the sword and it's kind of dragging behind him on the, the one assumes the cobbles uh, as he walks out into the, the kind of shores of the sour sea and then out into the the badlands um, as he's leaving the fortress in a haze these elite Skaven scouts and warriors uh, leap onto the remains of Nagash and just absolutely go to town. It's like uh, Gordon Ramsay times a thousand, just hacking away, swearing and uh, adjusting. <laughs> you their idiot sandwich! N- Nagash is rendered into thousands of little pieces, you know, no bigger than an ice cube or no bigger than a tiny ice cube. Uh, <laughs> and they pick up all these pieces and throw them into the kind of warp fire powered forges that are held in Nagash's R. And he's effectively just rendered into smoke. Poof. And thus passed the greatest threat to the world that the world never knew about. Wow. It's gone. And Shit. all he needed was to be diced into a majillion little pieces mm-hmm. and thrown into warp stone and turned into smoke. 
It's so <laughs> obvious when you hear it, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, simple process. Simples. It's like it's like it's like baking. It's like baking. So simple. It's so simple. <laughs> it's like, just a few simple ingredients that he needed to be turned into. So just a couple of more points there on this one. The prisoner who was named Prince Alcadazar uh, mm. is he was the last prince of Nehekara, the uh, yeah. the Egyptian realm. And Nagash had fallen into a coma because he had just not only killed the whole country that was his Oof. country of birth, but then reanimated them. And that was a portion of that population was heading to him. Mm. Because he was killed before the great ritual could be fully, fully completed, the Skaven are responsible effectively for the creation of the land of the dead the tomb kings uh, so so are you saying that if he had been able to finish the ritual and bond or tie or whatever the term is all of those undead to his trombone. will and then yeah. trombone so to trombone <laughs> millions of undead to his will <laughs> and then he was killed would he would all of those undead have just died as well if he was then killed after they'd been tied to as well. You can't kill the undead. You know what I mean. Yeah, it's a tricky question because in the game, if you kill an undead army's general, invariably every unit loses an amount of models because control is lost. Right. Uh, I think the great ritual, as it's known, was still so fresh that it was still an animating force for the undead. And is that why you would blame the Skaven for it then? Because they interrupted that ritual. And had they killed Nagash after, then you wouldn't see the kind of numbers of undead that we have today. It's a great question. I don't have an answer. I, I don't know if it's been addressed at all. It's certainly not in anything I've read. I think that once the great ritual washed over the world, it was focused on Nehekara, but it, it doesn't seem to have gone beyond that, but I certainly think that at that point it affected the dark wind of magic in some fashion because, if you recall, the winds of magic kind of settle in places that are associated with their abilities, their governance, the things mm. they kind of control. So mm. you would start seeing uh, in the kind of bogs and fens and dark places zombies relatively mindless walking around just existing to eat skeletons oh, perhaps if there are skeletons of soldiers which in the games the that's what they invariably look like they're just following their last kind of order so a lot of them are just patrolling and may see oh, everyone see, as an enemy see, but may not when you said that the skaven were responsible then really for the undead what did what did you mean by that. Oh, sorry. I think the Skaven were principally responsible for the independence of the Tomb King. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. they're they're responsible yeah, 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 for yeah. breaking the link, the control between Nagash and the population of uh, Nehekara. The only known instance of Green Tooth failing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, there's been a strong PR campaign to yeah. you know sub subdue sub subdue that information, and they've learned a lot from it. We're sorry, yeah. <laughs> and we've learned many many lessons. <laughs> Green Tooth 2.0 is going to be much stronger, faster, <laughs> reliable, <laughs> and warp stony, making the impossible probable. With Green Tooth, um, is then the control of 
the undead in the hands of the Tomb Kings arguably better than in the hands of Nagash. Depends who you are, right? If you're the Tomb Kings, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think the Tomb Kings have a strong cultural identity, which is the pseudo-Egyptian kind of background. I think they retain their hierarchy. So Mm. the kings and queens that were buried in pyramids were reanimated as part of the ritual, and they then remained kings and queens. And the the hierarch priests and priestesses, they, I mean, effectively, the population of Nehekara, or the land of the dead as it is now, retained their social awareness and their social status. I think the skeletons, the kind of rank and file, are effectively mindless. They may have unit leaders that have some sense of identity, but they're all under the control of an already existing social hierarchy. Right. Whereas Nagash simply wanted to create a land of the dead, where he and his trusted lieutenants were the only ones with any form of sentience. Was Nagash undead himself at that point? He had become undead at that stage, yes. He was a, li- yeah. he was a lich, a lich king. That's right. Did he, was he killed or did he, did he just bring about his own original end as part of his spells and experiments? I can't remember. Well, let us, let us progress and we'll find out. Woohoo! Let's do it. Woo-hoo. So, three points to be made at the end of this: the War of Cripple Peak. Firstly, Skaven now controlled the single largest warpstone deposit in the whole of Warhammer World, and it was given to a clan called Clan Rickek, and they occupied Nagashazar and Cripple Peak, and renamed the whole complex as Fortress Rickek. It's not easy to say. It's not, is it? Fortress Fort, Fort, Fortress Rickek. Say that five times really fast. Fortress Rickek. Fortress Rickek. Fortress Rickek. Fortress The second thing is that it took the Skaven a little bit of time to track down the Mad Prince as he wandered through, and he was eventually found collapsed face down in a river, and was never recovered he that's how he passed from histories you know the arguably the greatest prince ever to come out of nehekara certainly perhaps not rivaling nagash in his power but certainly in his willpower the defiance that that character showed was unbelievable but the skaven and this is the third point the skaven retook or reclaimed the fell blade and you can actually use that in games. There's rules for mm-hmm. using the Fellblade in the Warhammer games, and are, there are also rules for using the Hand of Nagash, because that is now an artifact as well. Oh, they found it, did it? Where, where did it scuttle off to? It scuttled off. It was, I think it was found together with the kind of crown of Nagash uh, in... Just groping a Skaven. <laughs> just massaging the head of one <laughs> it just became really domesticated and friendly and just like yeah. was giving head massages to random it was, ju- it was just found doing like shadow puppets in the, in the room of its own like. <laughs> no it was just really angry it was giving the finger to everyone yeah <laughs> that was really reckless of the skaven just to let the prince with the most powerful blade in the history of warhammer just to wander off and so they were getting like really into dismembering and slicing and dicing up the gash into a billion (laughs) gajillion pieces turned around 
out of their kind of friends it was like uh where's Uh-oh. bob <laughs> i thought you were looking at him no Uh-oh. i thought you were looking after him well don't look at me <laughs> fuck 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 we're in so much trouble uh, bob oh bob if the council find out about this we are screwed <laughs> bob come on bob come on man <laughs> It does, me, it does me wonder, just in terms of the hand of Nagash, and it's certainly a question I've never thought of before this record, is what is the sound of one hand tromboning? <laughs> does it go just one way and not the other? So it goes... <laughs> so Alcazar, I'm assuming from Chris's story, is his second name, so it's Bob Alcazar. Robert Alcazar. Bob. Bob Alcadizar, yeah. Alcadizar. Alcadizar. I think I had one of them when I had an upset stomach. (laughs) Bob Alcaselser. Bob Alcaselser. Alcaselser, Alcazar. Nagash was killed by Alcaselser. I love it. (laughs) Defeats indigestion, heartburn, and Nagash. It's quite it's quite a sad story, isn't it? He just kind of wandered off and then died in a river, face down. <laughs> yeah, that's really unglamorous, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, but I bet I bet his trousers were down as well. He was just taking a piss. Oh, in the river he did a Whitney Houston fucking collapse, and and they just found all they could see was like his buttocks sticking out of the water when they found it. <laughs> really undignified. It's not, not the way you want to be found, isn't it? Chris, did you just say he did a Whitney Houston? I said no <laughs> such thing. Oh, God, Chris. And, and then Ben said he was ended up face down in water with his ass up in the air. <laughs> what, uh, what exactly is going on here? And that's more of a Michael Barrymore situation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I need a lighter. <laughs> you shouldn't laugh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've just got I've just got a vision of him just falling into the river and from nowhere this hand pops up and goes <laughs> they actually they actually <laughs> find <laughs> uh, the gash's hand just on his arse <laughs> when they find just him massaging it <laughs> yeah <laughs> just just one finger <laughs> 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 and pe- people walking past weren't surprised. They thought it was just another ass spider junkie. <laughs> yeah. uh, how many ass spiders are you on today, Chris? Uh, I've cut down to three in the morning now. Three. three. Right. Yeah, I'm just preparing the fourth. Are you having any like side effects or anything? Oh, yeah. It's all about the side effects. Like whispering teeth. And- mm. Daytime night terrors. <laughs> <laughs> Scryacom Green Tooth Technology has the power to change your world world. Everyone and everything connecting in real real time. Giving you you the freedom to go farther than you ever imagined. With the reach to keep you connected when it matters most most. And the power to make even the most crowded nests and swarms yours to share share. Discover Scryacom Green Tooth Technology on our award-winning mobile network. Network. (laughs) 
So thus passed possibly the greatest changer to the Warhammer world since the collapse of the Polar Gates. So, some 500 years after this, the Skaven had just been kind of milling around, kind of, you know, gnawing on all the warp stone, expanding their under empire, which is not a euphemism. <laughs> they come to what's known as the War of Karakate Peaks. And so what happened was the Skaven had really turned their attention to the dwarves and the dwarven holds because the dwarves were the only other race with a really large under empire or underway as it's known by the dwarves. And the dwarven realm, which is known as Karaz Angkor, was this huge conglomeration of various dwarven mines, cities, the enormous dwarven holds, and the roads, the enormous underways that connect them all. And the Skaven really wanted a piece of that action. But the dwarves, being the redoubtable beings that they were, really held off the Skaven for generation after generation. This saw the rise of a specialist set of dwarf warriors called the iron breakers and these were warriors that were uh, head to toe head to dwarven toe in iron with massive shields really really jaggy sharp axes and even their beards were armored and these were specialist tunnel fighters that would hold the line against the great skaven hordes amazing they sound hard as nuggets are there figures for those guys yeah, and they really, they really are nuggets, Chris. They're super hard. They spend decades protecting the dwarven underway and just constant tunnel fighting against Skaven and night goblins and the monsters that dwell in all these caverns in Warhammer. Oh, nice. So the Skaven, the Council of Thirteen, once again decide to use sneaky ratty tactics. And what they do is they begin attacking the surface encampments of dwarves, so uh, like dwarven logging settlements, farming settlements, and small outposts, small fortresses on the surface. And what they end up doing is they're driving the dwarf population back into their holds, back into their under underway, the under empire mm. of the of the dwarves. And they do this not only by making a direct attack against the dwarves themselves with their little scaveny regiments, but they also coordinate is probably the wrong word. They influence orc and goblin tribes to stop fighting amongst themselves and to go hammer and tongs at the dwarves. So you see these great orc and goblin tribes just descending on settlements and laying siege to great holds to keep them distracted while the skaven attack from below and try and breach through the literal iron wall of the Ironbreaker regiments that are defending the dwarven holes and settlements. This then turns into a protracted siege of an entire empire where wow. resources are getting thinner and thinner for the dwarves and they not only are reduced to eating, you know, horrible little cave mushrooms, but also they begin to lose fortress after fortress, uh, settlement after settlement, until things begin to look really dire. And this really does shake the confidence of the dwarves, who are, you know, they're not without confidence. Mm. It's quite, God, Skaven are cunning, aren't they? Yeah, really cunning and sly really? and actually, sly. yeah. 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 Love it. 
I'm starting to so once again. The, oh, hold on, no, as, hold on. Start, no, hold on. We're going to have to... I don't like them, that. Ben. They're still <laughs> again, a bunch Chris. of rats. Yeah, but go on. They are gaining my nods of approval. Okay, excellent. <laughs> I'll take it. Nice one, Skaven. Nice. They're, no, yes. but they are. They are actually... They're not just mindless hordes of minions, are they? They're, you have you know, not mispronounced their name once this episode, other than Skaven. that time right at the start where you did it comically. Mispronounced the name, yeah. Oh, sorry. Let me let me correct myself. Scarven. I've really... No. <laughs> <laughs> so as the war progresses, the Council of Thirteen once again taps their mad scientist, Clan Scryer, and they bring regiments worth of warp fire throwers and poison wind globadiers or globadiers depending on how you feel and so these are the you know these are the machines that were used to great effect in the tunnels beneath cripple peak and it absolutely overwhelms the ironbreakers the dwarves they literally melt in their armor Ooh. and so then gross underground fortresses and underground fastnesses and holes begin to fall and while everything is being done to keep the dwarves under siege both above and below the surface once again skaven scouts and assassins manage to get into dwarf holes and particularly Karak eight peaks itself and they drop huge chunks of unrefined warp stone into the massive water vaults and the cisterns that the dwarves use for water. And therefore, over six months to a year, it enfeebles the dwarves. The dwarves get weaker and weaker because they're being poisoned by the water that they think is safe. They still don't know it's been tampered wow. with. Uh, and shit. so you have now at Karakate Peaks, the orcs coming in from the surface, the skaven coming up from below, and each dwarf citizen, man, woman, and child, is being dissolved from the inside slowly by warpstone. And eventually they fall. The dwarven warriors fall one after another. The orcs get in. The skaven rise up from below. And Karakate Peaks falls. And this really is a hammer blow to the psyche of the dwarves who before now had thought their kingdom was inviolate. The great Karazakarak, the Everpeak, the capital of the Dwarven Empire, is now under siege in a similar fashion. And significant Dwarven fortresses and cities begin to fall over the next couple of centuries, one after another. Wow. You were using the same techniques. Using the same technique. I gotta say, I'm a bit ashamed. I, it doesn't <laughs> seem like I mean, I know that the Skaven are, you know, devious, but that is a fucking not that's not that's a fair dark. fight, is it? Like they do like the mm. doors don't even know why they're they're losing. <laughs> like yeah. they just uh, that being poisoned thing is ooh, poor sportsmanship. Yeah. It must feel like all of their ancestors and all of their gods have abandoned them. Yeah. Yeah, dark times. Man, psychological dark warfare times. right there. Yeah. It is in the books that once the dwarves started to become enfeebled, the Skaven, just from Clan Mulder, if everyone recalls that's the kind of Beastmasters, just released hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of starving rats into the fortress. 
And so it very much looked like that scene from Lord of the Rings when they come into Moria, where the dwarven bodies are just, you know, attacked and gnawed mm. and what have you. Mm. It's the thing that no one really considers all that much when they're playing the games. It's horrific. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gnarly. So that's really got us to the stage where about 300 years before the rise of Sigmar and the formation of the Empire itself. So we've still got quite a significant way to go because we've got to get not only past these 300 years, but then we've got to add on another 2,500 just for shits and giggles to get up to date. (laughs) Nice. I'll clear my schedule. (laughs) So I think the last thing we'll cover today is the first great Skaven civil war. Yeah. So we're looking at the end of the second decade after the empire has started. So it's written down in the books as it's uh, the year 17 to 600 by the imperial calendar. So effectively 600 years of constant civil war with the Skaven really focused inwards. Very, perhaps not isolationist, but their primary concern is their own society, their own structure. A couple of hundred years before the event. So somewhere between the fall or the beginning of the end of the Dwarven Underway, there was an unnamed clan of Skaven had trudged down into the Southlands, which if everyone remembers is analogous with our own Africa. Um, Mm -hmm. And they came across the ruins of a Lizardman city, a Slan city. And in those ruins, they found an enormous tunnel entrance. And trudging down through and traveling, they discovered that that tunnel led all the way underneath the ocean and underneath Ulthuin and arrived in Lustria in, again, what we would consider South America. South America, yeah. So they arrived in the the kind of fetid, teeming jungles of Lustria. And they were immediately set upon by everything that was poisonous that lived there, which Again, if you read all the books, is everything that lives there. <laughs> and so they, and they were set upon by spiders, both ass spiders, perhaps shoulder spiders, I don't know, <laughs> and neck spiders, uh, yeah. and scorpions, and serpents, and lizard men as well. Badgers? <laughs> Maybe jungle badgers. Jadgers. <laughs> Jadgers. <laughs> so the... the the Skaven begin to succumb to disease and decay, and they there's boils uh, appear on them, and huge chunks of fur fall out, and bones start becoming exposed. But they're all mm. still alive, and they're constantly, constantly praying to the horned rat to save them. Why don't they just go back through the fucking tunnel? They'd be dead before they even got halfway. The disease was just devouring them. Uh, and they were constantly uh, under attack uh, by the forces of the Lizardmen. And eventually their leaders began just to capture Lizardmen and sacrifice them to the Horned Rat. And they began to feel a little bit better. So they sacrificed more and more and more. And ultimately, about uh, about six or 700 miles in every direction, nothing existed except the Skaven, and perhaps plant life, because mm. they had sacrificed everything they could find to the great glory of the horned rat. And this stage, Ben, is where you use your catchphrase. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. Uh, no, big up the horned rat, you fool. <laughs> oh, big up the horned rat. 
<laughs> I've got so many. I've got so many. <laughs> so as they were sacrificing all these lizard men, especially the smaller ones, the skinks, this unfortunately, Ben, gave rise to the great god Sotek, the enemy of Skaven, <gasps> who runs various cities in Lustria now, which exist only to sacrifice Skaven in the name of the Old Ones. Oh, so them doing all this sacrifice actually gave rise to Sotek. It gave focus, much like uh, in the first or second episode we discussed how the constant repetitive behavior eventually ended up coalescing into a chaos god or into a human god, that kind of idea. So they gave rise to their own nemesis, the great snake god Sotek. It's the Warhammer nature's way of balancing things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So as as the worship of Sotek increased, the frenzy with which the lizardmen attacked the Skaven also increased, and they were eventually driven back uh, to a city called Quetza, which is a temple city in Lustria with the usual step pyramids and catatonic god frogs, that kind of idea. Hmm. They had to endure an enormous siege, which they were eventually able to break only by realizing that if they stayed in Lustria, they would all be wiped out. And so they fled the continent and it took them constant warfare for 10 years to get to the coast where they built an enormous plague fleet and sailed back to sunny old old world now when they arrived on the shores of the old world you've got to keep in mind that they'd been effectively missing for hundreds of years Uh, well exactly 200 years in fact so the skaven didn't know who these diseased skaven were I beg your pardon, they didn't land in the old world, they landed on the continents on that side, so they actually landed in the Southlands, uh, again analogous with Africa, and they began trying to assert their dominance and trying to get back in with Skaven culture. So they had sent many uh, envoys up to Skaven Blight to talk to the Council of Thirteen, all of which were killed, and proclamations about traitors and wars and usurpers were issued, and this then triggered the Skaven Civil War. And you'd think to yourself, how much damage could one clan actually do? Fair enough, they're the love children of uh, a rat and a diseased fat person. And a sepsis god. Sepsis god. So how much damage could they actually do? Well, as they worked back up through the Southlands, they came across many Skaven clans in the various sites of the Under Empire, and they gave them a simple choice, join us or be sacrificed to the Horned Rat by our plague priests. What's the catch? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This seems like a (laughs) win-win. This is too good to be true. It it normally (laughs) is. (laughs) and you say i get a free pair of knives with this (laughs) if it smells like a plague rat and it looks like a plague rat (laughs) so yeah so they worked their way back up into the old world through the southlands gaining a huge following and effectively a third of the skaven empire joined them Uh, and i'm trying to imagine the sheer scale of warfare that must have happened with millions of skaven on either side in its finest you get one guy just going, sacrifice the horned rat or join us. Now you ask two people each, <laughs> and you ask two more people, and they ask two more people. <laughs> T- 
time share. <laughs> so were they all then clan pestilence? Did they all become plague ridden rat men, or were they just was it like clan pestilence and then a bunch of guys that you know said, Yeah, we'll, we'll go with you, but they weren't necessarily plagued? The short answer is yes. You had some clans that joined clan pestilence as plague monks, uh, mm. and uh, you then had what's called the warlord clans which allied with clan pestilence those things like they would wear the same color so they could be identified in battle so their clan logos and clan colors took on a more diseased palette but they were mm. still straight up just warlords rather right. than plague monks nice okay. so as they progressed up through the southlands all communication with fortress rickick which was known formally as Cripple Peak, is lost. So with the loss of the deposit at Cripple Peak, there's really now a deadlock between the Council of Thirteen and the clans underneath the power of Clan Pestilence. And there's really just constant treachery. It falls down from a war of attrition into a kind of cold war, cold ratty war. And it remains that way until another great clan returns from the history books. This is the assassins of Clan Eshin, the gutter runners and the night runners, who are the great ninja rat assassins, the evil splinters, basically, return from the Far East and pledge allegiance to the Council of Thirteen. So using the new agents and their amazing powers of stealth, uh, shadow warfare, infiltration, assassination, they begin knocking out the leadership of Clan Pestilence, who really are now starting to crumble under the weight of their own success. They have an enormous number of Skaven warriors and plague priests, but a, a, an increasingly dwindling population of leaders. Mm. So you begin to get factional infighting, that kind of thing, uh, within their own side. It is at that stage that Lord Nurglitch, the leader of Clan Pestilence, marches by himself into Skavenblight and demands an audience with the Council of Thirteen, who come to the steps of the Great Cathedral, on which Nurglitch, in great ratty bravado, demands to become a member of the Council. And he pulls his little robe aside, not to reveal any sort of ratty lipstick, but a vial of <laughs> yellow fever, the most virulent disease that Clan Pestilence can create that would wipe out Skaven for tens of miles in every direction. And they've brought it into the council chamber at the heart of the Skaven Under Empire. Oh, sneaky bugger. Snap. So one of their number agrees to have a duel with Nurglitch, and if they can be beaten, then they will become a member of the council. And Nurglitch absolutely destroys him, absolutely rips him to shreds. And as he's doing it, the body of the former council member is just dissolving with disease as it continues. And Nurglitch is therefore proclaimed a member of the Council of Thirteen, and Clan Pestilence is so large that it is now considered one of the great clans. Wow. Even if Nurglitch didn't defeat their great champion, he still had vials of, like, Skaven death around his waist. So he always oh, yeah. had that trump card anyway. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, fight yeah. this guy, and if I don't win, then fuck you all anyway. Poof! Huh. Given the Skaven's 
cowardly nature, I suspect the council were freaking out that he came by himself. Where did Clan Pestilence go then? Did they just stay in Cripple Peak? Did they move back into Skaven Blight? You know, did they did they set up holiday homes around the periphery? <coughs> like, what's what's a crack? That's it. Drive out the locals, push at the price of residential homes in the area, and yeah. now it's just <laughs> gentrify, ratrify. Yeah, baristas and coffee shops everywhere. Yeah, you raise an interesting point because Clan Pestilence didn't take Cripple Peak. Oh. Cripple Peak just fell off the radar. And in fact, so, what happened was Nagash had returned. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Shut the front door. Yeah. Wow. I'm guessing that's a story for another time. Once we delve into that from Nagash's perspective, it's a roller coaster ride. Excellent. You thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Bombshell. To answer your specific question, Clan Pestilence really owns the Southlands, but they do have, as all other great clans have, small fortresses and enclaves all around the Under Empire. Right, okay. Safe. God, that was awesome. That was, yep, yeah, that man. had me. That had me by the balls. The Orcs <laughs> are still my favorite race, but the Skaven are very interesting. The Orcs are just simple. They're like, no frills. We're here. We're queer. Get used to it. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry, wrong chant. We're here. We're Orcs. We like to fight. <laughs> yeah. The Skaven are just, you know, their history is intricate and interesting and, and meddling and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And ratty. Cunning. And ratty. Loads of rats. Yeah. I mean, I have to say the low point for me really was that attack on... Because, you know, I again, like Chris was saying last episode, I do have a lot of respect for the dwarves and their, their technology and their ingenuity. Mm. You know, And I can't really see how this Gaven would have had any other option other than to use such kind of underhand techniques to overcome dwarves than poison them, you know? But that was... Yeah, that was a real low point in their history for me. I kind of feel... I kind of feel like they, they, they lost a bit of my respect in that. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it was foreshadowed by their own origin story. I mean, it's effectively the other side of how the Skaven came to be. If you remember from the, the Doom of Kavzar, the dwarves held up in their fortress, outside of which their human allies were trying to get in to ask for help and shelter. And all mm. the while, underneath, rodent doom was inching its way forward through That's the cracks right. and crevices of their own fortress. Karma, bitches. So is that the overlap then? Is that the parallel? Is that the timeline? No, because that story was from the beginning of the Skaven, wasn't it? Yeah, no. That's why I use the word foreshadow. Well, I, I noticed <laughs> that you used that word, and I wanted to say good use of that word, but I wasn't sure what you meant, so I just... I just <laughs> we just moved on, you know? Yeah, it was a, it was a good 2,000 years, but I, I only bring it up because it's, you know, that's what the dwarves in the origin story would have experienced. They would have experienced attacks from the humans trying to get in at the very end, the kind of rat-based horror that was coming in from below. Yeah, yeah. Dark. Cracking. So, Chris, you're you're a bit of a you're you're a Skaven convertee now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I'm, and and the more that I learn about Warhammer, obviously, your your preconceptions about races completely change. Especially, yeah, you kind of look at Warhammer and you just see the uh, the Skaven as just 
numbers and no substance. Do you know what I mean? They're just an annoyance, a common enemy between all the races and there's nothing much to them. But the more you learn about them, actually, they, they're, like you say, they're cunning and ratty and very smart, actually. And yeah, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm respecting them more and more. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Allen overcoming his ratophobia. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> well, well, uh, on the contrary, you know, my, my classically favorite race, the Orcs, are a little bit dull by comparison. You know what I mean? They're just kind of hack them, is... smack them, bop them, twist them, smash it kind of peeps. <laughs> bop it, smash it. <laughs> twist it, <laughs> pull it, <laughs> trombone this. I mean, with that, with that admission, I think I, I, I can quite safely say episode seven, best episode yet for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get over yourself. <laughs> wait, wait till the next episode when we deal with how the Skaven interacted with the nations of the old world. So you're looking at 2,000 years of history still to cover. I Ooh. am very Bring excited. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, see ya. See ya. Squeak, squeak. Squeak, squeak.